0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me to Acts chapter 2, if you will. Acts chapter 2. The title of my message today is, "This is not business as usual. This is not business as usual." You know, it, it's it's funny the things we get used to. It's funny the things that we become comfortable with. It's funny the things that maybe we started out, uh, uh you know, maybe challenging. Um, you know, maybe uh, we started out doing something new, but if we aren't careful, uh, we will just fall into the norm. And we will go about life as business as usual. And what happens is, is if we carry ourselves with a priority of comfort, then we will never challenge what God wants us to challenge. And if you don't challenge it, you won't change it. I'll say that again. I said, if you don't challenge it, you won't change it. And I believe we are in a day and age, I believe that we are living in a culture and a society that wants to create, um, you know, we've heard this over the last year so many times, a new normal, a new normal. They are trying to, uh, in in an effort, trying to get us to become comfortable with things that we were never designed to become comfortable with, accept things that we were never designed to accept. And again, if I have a priority to accept something, make it normal, uh, uh, um, if I have a priority to keep things comfortable, keep things quiet, you know, half the reason why there's the silencing and the canceling that we're seeing in our world today is because they want you to accept the direction that they're trying to take us. And when I say they, I'm talking about the enemy. I'm talking about the world. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness. There are spiritual forces behind what we're seeing on the surface. You need to know that what you're seeing on the surface is not all that there is. There's an agenda, there's a plan, there's a motivation. And we have to understand that if we are not going to be people that are going to challenge what's wrong, we will eventually become the problem. You're either a part of the solution or you're a part of the problem. And what God is doing in these last days, and I believe we are in the last days, I believe we are in the last of the last days, I believe that we're closer than anybody else ever has been, amen? Amen. The clock's only ticking towards the end. I believe it's time for the church to get serious about the business of the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, I'm going to read this from the Amplified. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, everyone say when it had come. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, everyone say suddenly, suddenly a sound came from heaven like a rushing, violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which were being distributed among them, and they rested on each one of them, as each person, as each person, as each person received the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled, that is, diffused, throughout their being with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, different languages, as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out clearly and appropriately. We all know that this is the encounter that Jesus promised his disciples would come, receiving the promise of the Father, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, being empowered to go and be witnesses to go and do the work of the kingdom. But I want to, I want to show you an angle today that really what Acts chapter two was, it, we could categorize it as a disruption, a disruption. Disruption always challenges dysfunction. I'm going to need you to receive this today, okay? Lean in. Put your, put your heart and your spirit in a posture to receive today. Disruption always comes to challenge dysfunction. We talked about dysfunction last week. We talked about the man who for 38 years was lame and laying at a pool and for 38 years kept trying this remedy of getting in the water first and if he could be the first one to get in the water and eventually it wasn't even just the dysfunction of his legs anymore that was the problem. It was the dysfunction of his heart where he eventually had lost the will and the desire to even want to change anymore. And so Jesus asked them a crazy question. You don't ask a lame man, do you want to get well? Do you even want to get healed? Do you even want to get better? Do you even want this to change? But the problem is is when you live in dysfunction for so long, your disappointment becomes greater than the dysfunction and eventually your heart is what needs to be healed way before your symptom on the outside can be healed. I've got to get to your heart before I can get to your life. And Jesus is trying to get to the core of the issue of the dysfunction. This man had lived in this way for 38 years, trying the same thing and failing, trying again and failing again, trying once more and failing once more. And eventually you just get tired of trying. Eventually the pain of disappointment is greater than the pain of the dysfunction. The pain of trying and failing is greater than just living in the mess that you're in. And so we become Comfortable, we become complacent. We begin to tolerate and allow what's happening to us and what's happening in us to become the status quo. And I'm here today to tell you that we are not doing church as normal, as usual. This is not business as usual. In Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit fell. It said, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, when the opportunity came, when the opportunity arose. But I want you to know that the opportunity wasn't this grand glorious opportunity that we all think it was. This was a time of great tragedy. This was a time of great adversity for the people of God. This was a time, if you remember, Jesus died on the cross. Rose again after three days. There were soldiers that were at the tomb that were there and witnessed the angel coming and rolling the stone away. They all fell like dead men. And now we have this rumor going around that that Messiah, that crazy person, that that freak uh, that you guys just killed on the cross and put in the grave, he's alive again. He came back to life. Was raised from the dead, and his disciples are now spreading this word. After Jesus has spent time with them, and he's shown him, he's shown them the holes in his hands and the side, the uh, the, the the piercing in his side, and, and the holes in his feet. He showed them. He visited with them. He's talked with them, and he's he said, "Look, just as I said, I came back to life." You know, those soldiers that were at the tomb, they were bribed by the government to not share that story. We can't have this word get out. If this goes viral, if this gets out. So now the government is even on more edge than they were when he was alive. Now it's even worse. It's worse for two reasons. One, this guy performed a crazy act by coming back to life again. We can't kill him. We can't get rid of him. And secondly, now we've got a bunch of his followers spreading this rumor. And now what we're about to have in Acts chapter 2 is a bunch of his followers doing the same thing he did. It's multiplied exponentially. There was one man going around being crazy, healing people and, and calling himself Jesus and calling himself the Son of God and calling himself. But now we've got a bunch of sons of God running around doing miracles, signs, and wonders, casting out demons. They're ruining our businesses. They're ruining our economics. They're ruining our government. They're talking about restoring a kingdom from heaven to earth. They're going to overthrow us. They're creating an issue. And so this was a big issue for the church. If you look at Acts chapter 1, go back to Acts chapter 1. Starting with verse 1, I wrote the first narrative. Theophilus this is Luke who wrote this about all that Jesus began to do and teach that's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear that this Jesus thing was over. And he's writing and saying he was just getting started. He just he was just getting he was just beginning work. This is all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, undeniable appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And look at the disciples' response. Verse 6. So when they had come together, They asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And the disciples were in the posture that a lot of you and I are in the posture of. What are you going to do about my situation? How many of us have asked that over the last 12 months? God, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about all this dysfunction? What are you going to do about all this craziness? What are you going to do about all this crazy hatred and division and racism that's going on? What are you going to do about this virus that has everybody freaked out of their mind? What are you going to do about this, God? What are you going to do about the economy? What are you going to do about politics? What are you going to do? What are you – and that's what we want to do. The church is always looking to sit back in the back seat and say, God is in control. God, what are you going to do? And that's what they were asking. It's a fair question. I mean, he's God of the universe, right? I mean, surely a God that is love and a God that is mighty and God that is powerful as he says he is and can perform what he can do. Surely God is going to do something about all this mess going on. Surely you are going to restore your kingdom to Israel. At this time. And again, they were looking for a natural. They were still, still didn't get it. They're looking for, and they're not thinking about God's kingdom, God's spiritual rule, God's, God's spiritual. Uh, uh, when we say the kingdom of God, really what we're saying is God's way of doing things. And they're not thinking in light of that. They're thinking in light of a physical, political reign that's going to overthrow the oppression that they are under. And these disciples are not stupid. They were hiding out when Jesus showed up in fear. We're next. I mean, surely if they would crucify Jesus, they'll surely come and crucify his followers. Those that call themselves disciples of Jesus, those that follow after his mission and his plan and his word and his mandate, surely they're coming for us next. And they were hiding out in fear. So now Jesus, before he leaves the earth, Bible tells us that he saw around 500 people before he left the earth, giving this commission, giving this call to. They're looking for a natural reign, a natural kingdom to come to the earth. And look what Jesus says. It is not for you to know the times or periods that the father has set by his own authority. Said the time will come, but it's not for you to know the time. We're not to ask the question of when. There's a different question. Verse 8. This is what he says. The first two words he says, but you. Everyone say, but you. Look at your neighbor and say, but you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Not once does he say what I will do. He flips it and says, here's what you will do. And this is when the church gets erupted. This is when the church quits sitting inside their churches, on their pews, comfortably just doing their routine, singing their three fast songs, their three slow songs, hearing three points, giving of their tithe, and then walking back out the door the same way they came in the building. When does it change? It changes when I quit sitting back and saying, God, what are you going to do? And I start asking, God, what do you want to do through me? The church that's going to bring back Jesus is going to realize they are involved. They are participators. We are not spectators. We're not here just to live our best life as best as possible until the day we get taken up out of here. The earth is not something to leave. The earth is something to change. The earth is not something that we dismiss and say, go God, just take us home. The earth is to say, God, bring your kingdom from heaven to the earth and use me and do it through me. Until we get into that posture. Until we get into that mode. We are not going to make the impact God's called us to make on this earth. You will not. You will live and you will die and you will have missed the window of opportunity. To change someone's life. To impact the world around you. Yeah, I hear a lot of people crying out for revival. Revival. A lot of churches. Revival, revival, revival. I've never liked that word. I never realized until this week why I didn't like that word. Because to revive something is to admit you're dead. The church ought to be alive. The church shouldn't need reviving. We should be perpetually alive. We should be a life-giving organism, a life-breathing organism, a life-investing organism. You know, I remember when we came and we started this church 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, You know, I had a pastor challenge me. A question you always want to ask yourself, if you close your doors today, would your city miss you? Or could they operate functionally without you and be no different? That's a sobering question to ask. And for us as believers, we ought to be asking the same question. If I didn't go to work tomorrow, what would they be missing? Just my responsibilities and my tasks? Or would they be missing the spiritual investment I'm bringing to my place of work tomorrow? Is it just a place that you go to collect a paycheck? Or are you investing in breathing life into every sphere of influence God places you in? Your homes, your work. If you're coaching Little League, what's missing if you're not there? What's missing if you're not coaching? What's missing if you're not investing in people's lives? It's a sobering question to ask. And so I learned this week, revival doesn't come to churches. If your church needs reviving, you're going to the wrong church. Revival doesn't come to churches. Revival comes to cities. Revival comes to cities. Revival comes through the church. We have to get alive before they get alive. Jesus specifically tells his disciples, you go to Jerusalem and you do not move, you do not budge, you do not minister, you do not share, you do not tweet, you do not post, you do not Instagram, you do not do anything until, until you get alive, you have nothing to give away. And they walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. They were as close to Jesus as you could possibly get physically. And Jesus said, you're still missing something. There's still a component in your life that until you receive this, you're no good for the kingdom. You're not going to be able to carry out the work to which I've called you. you. There's an element you're missing. Sure, you can be a good person. Sure, when you die, you can go to heaven. But am I more focused on going to heaven or bringing heaven? Because that's two different mindsets. If I'm living this life for the day that I leave and get up out of here and go and be in glory with Jesus, I'm missing the mission for which he called me. When he taught his disciples to pray, he said, you pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom Come, your will be done on, 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 as it is in heaven. Who's bringing heaven to this earth? Who's bringing, where's the remnant at? Where's the people at? Why do we need heaven? We need heaven because we need to disrupt the dysfunction that's all around us. We need to cause a disruption. And that's what revival does. Revival disrupts the status quo. Revival shows up and says, this isn't business as usual anymore. We're not just going through the motions. We're not just playing our songs. We don't have an a, 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 a expectation or an idea of how this thing's going to go. It, it, might, it might look a little weird. It might look a little different. It might look a little messy. It might cause a great disruption. But from the disruption is gonna come healing, comes deliverance, comes freedom. Bound becomes set free. The blind becomes see are able to see. The lame start to walk. The deaf start to hear. We begin to see the mighty working power of God in operation through the church. He says, this isn't about what? I'm going to do. You go and tarry. You wait for the promise of the Father. And he will fill you up. And then you will be my witnesses in all the earth. You, 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 you. To anyone that will submit themselves and yield themselves to the power of God. He flips it. He flips it. In essence, he's saying this. You will be the ones to challenge what's around you. And if I don't challenge it, I will tolerate it. And what I tolerate today becomes normal tomorrow. Are you seeing this in our world today? Am I, I'm not the only one that sees this. And that's what the enemy, the enemy doesn't, he doesn't need to move you to acceptance. He just needs to move you to tolerance. Well, I don't like what's going on, but you ain't doing nothing about it either. You hear me? He doesn't need you to buy into it. He just needs you to sit idly by quietly in the pew and not challenge what's happening in our world today. And there's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. I know we will. But first, you've got to get stirred up on the inside that this ain't happening. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. I mean, one of the things that I've had to fight, you know, over the last year now, my wife can attest to it, is I just get angry. I'll be honest enough, there's some stuff that I I see it, I watch it. I watch the lies, I watch the myths, I watch the rumors, I watch the garbage. You know, sometimes, and I see it, and it just, it creates just a burning, angry, fiery, Passion on the inside of me that says this is not happening. I am not literally seeing this take place. This is not going on. I I must be watching a film right now. I this cannot wake me up from this dream, this nightmare, whatever you want. This is not life that we're living. Another thing I learned about revival is many times. Almost every time. The prerequisite for revival is frustration. At some point, you have to get so sick and tired of what's happening that it moves you to action. Are you frustrated enough? Frustrated enough to challenge it? Not just talk about it. To do something about it. It starts with the. This ain't the way it's supposed to be. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not. I'm not wrestling against presidents and elected officials and and sides and parties. And I'm that's not. We are wrestling against spiritual forces, spiritual wickedness. There are agendas and motives behind. There are motives and agendas behind the motives and agendas you hearing me? We're going to be the ones to peel back the layers and we're going to say, this all comes down to one enemy. It's Satan. He's the deceiver of the brethren. He's the liar. He's the thief. He comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And we're going to go after him wholeheartedly with everything we have, with all the authority, with all the power, with all the Holy Spirit, with all of of, of the, the, the righteous indignation that's inside us. I mean, I, I, I haven't felt more like Jesus when he started flipping over tables and, and, and casting people. I haven't felt more like that than I have in the last 12 months. And it's not about people. I'm not ang- he wasn't angry at those Pharisees. They were just doing what their father told their father of lies. Their father, the devil, told them to do. He was angry at the adversary, the enemy. And he went and he whipped him and stripped him and defeated him and beat him forevermore. But at some point, there's got to be something on the inside that says, this is not good enough. I mean, a statement I've been saying just to myself the last several weeks is we, we are better than this. Humans are better than this. To treat people the way that we do and stir up the stuff that we do and say the things that we, we are better than this. We're created in his image, in his likeness to function and operate just like him. We cannot tolerate it any longer. And look, there's many people in this world, they've got suggestions of what to do, how to change this it's just suggestions. God's looking for people with solutions. Are you bringing suggestions or are you bringing solutions? i take it a step further. Are you bringing suggestions or are you being the solution? You and I, we're the answer to a lost and dying world. You and I, are the answer to racism. You and I are the answer to hatred. You and I are the are the are the answer to sickness and disease. You and I are the answer to fear and anxiety and depression. You and I are the answer to suicide and abortion rates. You and I are the answer to to healthy and whole marriages. You and I are the answer to the divorce rates that are skyrocketing through the roof. You and I are the answer to education. You and I are the answer to government. You and I are the answer. We are the answer. We're not looking around any longer. We're not looking to the sky any longer. We're looking at ourselves in the mirror and says, when am I going to step up to the plate? When am I going to accept the challenge? When am I going to take on the cause? When am I going to stop tolerating what's around me? David showed up on that battlefield surrounded by soldiers, surrounded by talented, gifted, equipped with spears and swords and, 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 and all the other stuff that soldiers carry. And not one of them would operate and act in their authority. And David shows up with the anointing oil fresh off of his beard. It says, Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Going to keep taking this taunting, this jeering. Do you even know who you you We are in covenant with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who are we to be listening to this? God, I don't care how tall he is, I don't care what kind of mighty man of warfare he is, I don't care if he's got a shield the, the size of my entire body. I don't care. We're the covenant kids, we're royalty. It takes one anointed person to challenge what other people tolerate. That's all it takes. I'm telling you, you can walk right up into society. You can walk right up into this mess. You can walk right up into all of the garbage that's happening around you, and you can say, the anointed person has just shown up. Show me the way. Where's the problem? Where's the issue? I'm the solution. I'm the answer. He's called me, equipped me, anointed me, empowered me. I'll take on this challenge right now. And you've got to have that kind of doggedness and that boldness to go after it. But you won't do it without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, all we have is an assembly. They were assembled together. But the assembling together without the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit is just a gathering. It's just a group. It's just a church service. If we continue to dismiss the Holy Spirit and his work in the life of the believer, we can continue to see dysfunction all around us. Because it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit. By my spirit, says the Lord. Going back to Acts chapter 2. Starting with verse 5. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused. Listen to this and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? And look at this. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius. Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. Listen to all the nationalities that are mentioned. Not once does it say anything about a denomination. doesn't say Pentecostals, Baptists. Spirit-filled, Methodist, First Baptist, Second Baptist, First Presbyterian, First Pentecostal, United Holiness. No, God's not calling denominations. He's calling nationalities from all over the world. He's calling them. Me and you. He's calling them together not to our own sections, not to our own sectors, not to our own places. He's calling us all together. He says, we're going to do this together. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? You know what I love about this? The first church service had to be explained. What if God wanted to do something so disruptive it had to be explained? This is what God's doing. You know, I think that's one of the major factors that the church has tried so hard to avoid over the last 20 years. Don't do anything that has to be explained. Have you noticed that? I mean, some churches look so much like the world; they don't know any different when they walk through the doors. They hear the music that they hear out there. The stuff that they're already doing is so, uh, so obviously and abrasively accepted, even within the church walls, that there is no repentance. There's no change. There's no issue on the inside. It says, "Man, I... the Bible says later in the same book in Acts chapter two, verse." Uh, 38, 39 says that they were cut to the heart by Peter's message. I think the church has lost the capacity to cut to the heart. And so they leave the same way they came in. You know who I think we would have to explain our church services to today? Jesus. I think if Jesus came through these doors today, we'd have to explain to him what we're doing. You mean the only ones that lift their hands and sing songs are the ones that are on the stage? What? We're all worshipers. These are lead worshipers. We don't even call them worship leaders. We call them lead worshipers. They're leading you. This isn't watch and be entertained and stand there with your hands in your pockets. This is time to be going face to face with your king. And these are the gifted and skilled individuals the Lord has led us and brought to us that lead us into the throne room. But when you show up, you should be just as ready as they. Yeah, we'd have to explain what we do to Jesus. He'd be like, wow, I don't know what this is. No. What happened here in Acts chapter 2 was so unfamiliar that Peter had to give a whole message explaining what was even going on. In fact, in the next verse, verse 13, it says, but some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. I think the church is afraid that the world might think that they're on something. I'm just reading it like I'm, it's right in front of you. They had to explain what was happening in Acts chapter 2. I think it's coming. I think it's coming. Peter stood with the eleven, raised his voice, proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you today and pay attention to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. No, we got a hold of something different. And if you get all the way on down after Peter's address, after Peter's message, 3,000 souls. It says, as many as received, 3,000 souls came in. Could the church be afraid of the very thing that God wants to do in these last days? Looking a little different, acting a little different being a little different, talking a little different. We, we've done so much work to be so accepting, so tolerable, so, so welcoming that we have lost the line between standing with the word and righteousness and holiness and what God stands for and disrupting the dysfunction that's around us. And we've gotten into the place where we're doing just as bad as the world is. We just call it Christian. Worship team, if you come up. Something is coming. Something is coming. This is what I know. Something is coming. I may not know exactly what. I may not know exactly when. I may not know exactly how. but I know who. I know who. It's me. It's me. And I'm standing before you today as the pastor of Anchor Faith Church here in Valdosta, Georgia, letting you know it will be us. I'm letting you know that right now. And like I said earlier, that can be your invitation or that can be your warning. You take it however you want. But it's not business as usual anymore. It's not. There is no new normal. There's only what God sets. There's only the standard He places.